0: had a question um, last Sunday. thought a very good question. I want to talk about, answer that real quick, and then um, maybe go into something that's related to that. Um, and the... Uh, <clears throat> I know it's, can you guys hear me okay? Okay. Um, the question was, how exactly does the renewing of the mind work? Um, because we know that's the key to... What is inside of us getting out in our thoughts, words, and deeds? Because the believer is already a new creation on the inside. The believer, as we know, has, been, has actually literally passed through death and into life. Paul says the old man has died and a new creation has been raised. And the great mystery of spiritual circumcision has taken place where God literally has cut away the body of the flesh... And the inner man, the invisible inner man, soul and spirit has literally been born again. Been born from above, raised up from the dead, so to speak. We once were dead in our sins. We once were dead in the flesh. Now we're alive in Christ. We're no longer in the flesh. We're no longer in our sins and so forth and so on. Um, This awesome truth, what Jesus did... And bringing us through death and into resurrection. As Paul said, the revelation he got was, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This awesome work is the the essence of the mystery of Christ. The essence of the mystery of Christ in terms of his work is that through his death, you died. Through his life, you live. It's that simple, but that profound. The essence of the mystery of the work of Christ is that. Because that literally takes you out of the realm of law, takes you out of the realm of earth, takes you out of the realm of this world. It takes you out of the Adamic race. It places you into a whole new reality. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And it's only possible through the spirit that is given that we actually experience this other reality. It's not just mental. It's not just intellectual Doctrine, it's an experiential reality that comes through the Spirit, that we are actually moved into another realm by the work of Christ. It's a whole nother reality. It's His reality. It's His home. You live in His home. You live every day in His home. You, you are seated with Him in heavenly places. His Father has become your Father. His righteousness has become your righteousness. As He is, so are you now in this world. Hallelujah. Awesome reality. Amen. Awesome good news. Okay. I was just driving over here. I was listening to the, the Christian radio, where it said uh, the uh, our W T no no what is it W's W T L N or is that TV? What, whatever. 9:50 a.m. What is it W? Okay, yeah, 9:50 a.m. I was listening to the. Um, the radio station, and they you probably have heard this phrase they've said on the radio station, this Christian radio station. They said, this is the station where the intersection of faith and reason come together. Have you heard that? The intersection of faith and reason. It's not true. That station was was bought by Reformed theologians. It is now owned by Calvinists. Just, so just so you know, the story behind that, that Christian station is now owned by Reformed theologians and Calvinists. And that's the big thing: is faith and reason with the with the reformed thinking. It's not the revelation of God is not an intersection of faith and reason. It's a faith. It's the intersection of faith and revelation. Amen. There's something greater than reason. Yes. We don't throw reason out. We don't throw reason out the window. We still have reason, but we have an enlightened reason. God said, "Come to me. Talk to me." Um, Let us reason together. God says, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So God's not against reason. He gave us reason. But the right thing to think about is not, we're not, we're not growing in God because of an intersection between faith and reason. It's an intersection between faith and revelation. Um, the word intersection just means they come together, they meet, they meet. And, um, the The proper response to to revelation is faith, you know. And um, so, anyway, reason is is the framework, the framework in which we can make sense of the revelation. Does that make sense? See, reason God has given us reason, and so we have. That's the framework that we can make sense of the revelation, so that we can put. In our minds, the, we can hear that another can take your place in judgment. That's You reason that out. Okay, another can take my place in judgment. So there's where, that's where reason comes in. But the revelation is another has taken your place in judgment. Faith and revelation. See, you see what I'm saying? Okay, so the renewal of the mind is not about uh, a focus on reason and knowledge uh, and information. It is a focus on revelation, but the Spirit revealing the things of God to us. Paul says that the Spirit of God has been given to show us the deep things of God. Paul says that no man can know the thoughts of God, but the Spirit of God. See, Paul didn't put a lot of a lot of emphasis on reason. he says, Not many wise are chosen, not many uh, noble, not many smart people get this. Not many of the rich get this. Why? Because they trust in themselves. The rich trust in their money. The wise trust in their wisdom. The uh, professors of, of uh, college trust in their their uh, diplomas. See. It's the poor in spirit that get this, that that realize Paul had all that. Paul had all the knowledge. He had all the diplomas. He had all the accolades. He was in, in the society at Jerusalem. He was taught by Gamaliel, the best. He He was rising in the ranks. He was known in the Sanhedrin. He had all that stuff. But he got a revelation. He says, God in the fullness of time revealed his son in me that I might proclaim him. Among the Gentiles, and then he says, "I counted all dung. I counted as dung all that stuff—the diploma, you know, my boasting of my wisdom, my knowledge, and so forth." Um, there's a couple of chairs here. If you don't, if you don't mind, sit on the front. Um. So, anyway, is that making sense? Is that reasonable? That's it. see, it's, it's not we're throw, we don't throw reason out. It's the framework in which we make sense of the revelation. But reason is not the emphasis. It's revelation. Paul says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, even by his best reason, the things that God has done and prepared. But, the next verse says, But the Spirit has been given, the Spirit has been given, that we might know these things. Many times people read that verse that Paul wrote about eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of the mind of man, what God has done. And they think, you know, we'll be, you know, in the sweet by and by, when we go to heaven, we'll get to see all these things and know all these things. And they always take that verse as a future thing that we will experience after death. But the very next verse says, but. It says, but. So it says first, There's no way you can get this stuff in your your natural mind. You can't. No man has seen it. No man has heard it. No man has even thought it. You can't reason your way into this. In fact, it is foolishness to the natural mind. If the natural mind tries to reason himself to what God has done, it will be stopped by foolishness. The The thought of foolishness. Like, no, that's foolishness. No, that's foolishness. See? So the natural mind cannot get this. It is foolishness to the natural mind. That's why the next verse says, but... The Spirit has been given, that we might know now these things, that we might know now these things that God has prepared, for who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? And now the Spirit of God has been given to you, that you might know the thoughts of God, the deep things of God, that we might understand this great mystery of Christ, of our own death and resurrection and ascension, our own translation, saints, our own translation into His kingdom now. It is the glad news of the kingdom of heaven that spread through Europe, that, tr- that turned the world upside down with this proclamation of a new reality. They were called the people of the way back in the book of Acts. The people of the way, the way, the women, the way, the way to God and the way to live a new and living way through union with Christ himself. It's awesome. So back to the original question. All right. The original question is, how does the renewal of the mind work? How does it really work? I want to just say that first to lay a foundation that we're not looking at the renewal of the mind in the sense of reason or knowledge or information. Um, A lot of Christians approach the renewal of the mind as if they're going to college. And they'll take the Bible as a textbook. And they'll say, I'm going to renew my mind because I'm going to study the Bible and I'm going to have scriptures on my refrigerator and my mirror in the morning and I'm going to memorize scripture and I'm going to, I'm going to fill myself with knowledge so I can renew my mind. And I'm going to, some people even, you know, say things like, I'm going to work the word. I'm going to work it. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to, you know, keep repeating it over and over again and I'm going to work it, work it, work it so I can renew my mind. That's not the renewal of the mind. It's very, that's very uh, wearisome. It's a lot of work in that, a lot of striving in that. Um, keep in mind, saints, that, that the first 300 years of the Christian church, there were no Bibles. So nobody could renew their mind, I guess, until King James came around, right? <laughs> there were no Bibles for 300 years. There were no scriptures to go study, no concordance, no study Bible, no Bible classes, nothing that. No, no seminaries, nothing. All you had was an apostolic revelation that was sent out, the powerful word of Christ. And those who received the apostolic revelation of Jesus and what Jesus did and who he was, it exploded inside of them. And then Jesus himself taught them. You see, the the scripture says the new covenant, they shall all be taught of God. It's the spirit of God. Uh, John said boldly, you need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you, shall lead you into all truth. Paul was able to leave the believers with this awareness of Christ in their midst, inside of them and in their midst, such that they would depend on him to lead them, to teach them. And you know what's so cool about the way of God, the work of Christ, is that it's not complex. See, men, natural men, naturally make things complex. Look at the U.S. government. It's a perfect picture. You know, it's, it's like when men try to do things, it, they, make, they make it very complex. And that's why they, they run right past the simplicity of, of what God did in Christ, because they think that's just too simplistic. It can't be that simple. But when God does something, it is so simple, yet it is so profound, it takes a revelation to see how, how big it is. And then it takes a revelation to grow in it because it's all of the spirit. But it's very simple, which means the early believers had a very simple, simple message. And they, they, they ate and drank of Christ. They ate and drank of this reality. They encouraged each other in the truth. And they grew from this without a complex system of religion, without a focus on sin or the flesh or the law they had a simple, simple revelation that was this, that Christ has taken us through judgment on the cross. That God has totally judged us for our, all our sin on the cross. And this same, this same Christ who took my judgment on the cross was raised again on the third day that he might impart to me his resurrection life By the gift of the Holy Spirit. I am now in him and he is now in me. I am now in him and he is now in me. He is my life. To live is Christ. Jesus himself is now in me and I am in him. As the father was in the son, the son was in the father. So now the son is in me and I am in the son. One, his work is complete. And now we walk in this union with him. There is nothing else you can add to that. You don't try to improve on it. You don't try to fix it. You don't, all you want to do is, is experience more of Him. You want the mind to be renewed so you can grasp it as much as possible while you're in these bodies, this awesome reality of God's great love. And that He now has become my Father, Abba, Papa. He's my papa 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I am righteous in him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is the abundant grace that Paul talked about. He who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. It's a reigning in life now because of union. Isn't that awesome? It's a reigning in life now because that's how the early church could do it without complexity. Because it was a simple message, but a profound message. It turned religion upside down. In fact, they were the, the apostles who brought this revelation of Christ into the world were called the people who have turned the world upside down because it was instead of a man-focused message of get your act together, get cleaned up so God will accept you, do something so God will love you, instead of a religious, fleshly, natural, man-centered message, it was a completely reverse, no, God has come. God has come in the Christ, as the prophets proclaimed, and He has taken away the sin of the world Himself. And He asks you only to believe. As the Pharisees said, what must we do to work the works of God, that He might be pleased with us? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom God has sent. See? He did it. And then, so those who believe Enter into this great mystery of death and resurrection through Him. It's, it's beyond religion. It's beyond man. It's beyond the natural. It's it's not of this world. It is a work of the, of God. And we are moved and joined to this one who lives forever. And now the kingdom has come within you, the scripture says. The, The very realm of heaven has come in you, come inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And so now in this awesome simplicity, we no longer focus on the flesh. We don't focus on sin. The mindset on the flesh is death, Paul says, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What does that mean, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace? We're talking about the renewal of the mind here, okay? We're setting up foundations. If you know what I'm doing, I'm setting up foundations to prepare this this thinking about what it actually means to renew the mind. Okay, so what does it mean to, to set your mind on the things of the spirit? It means to think on those things or to... Uh, acknowledge those things or to seek those things that have been revealed to us by the Spirit regarding Jesus and you. Yes. Know you not, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ inside of God. Set your mind on things above where you are, Paul said. Seated with Christ in heavenly places, see? So the mindset on the Spirit has nothing to do with looking for sin in our flesh. And see, religion is all about looking for sin in the flesh. And because, as we said the other Sunday, the premise is wrong, if the premise is wrong, the conclusion is wrong. And the premise in religion, most religious teaching out there, the premise is that the believer still has an evil heart. If you believe the believer still has an evil heart, and that premise is wrong, then your conclusion as to how to renew the mind, or walk in the spirit, or to be a good Christian, or whatever a big part of that conclusion is going to be dealing with sin in your heart. And I get so weary listening to teaching after teaching on the radio and sometimes on TV of preachers and teachers telling the believer to search your heart for sin and to work on that heart and and get that heart pure and and all this stuff. Can you do you really believe you can make your heart pure? Can a leopard remove his spots? See, God, only God can make a pure heart. Only God can create a new heart. And he did. That's the awesome work of the new covenant. Behold, I will wash you with clean water and pure water, and I shall put a new spirit within you and a new heart. And I will raise you up. I will fulfill the yearning of David in Psalm 51 when he says, Oh, God, creating me a new heart, blight out all my transgressions, you know, creating me a willing heart, a new heart. And that's what we have now in Christ. God has put the power of sin in the flesh and only in the flesh. And that is not who you are now anymore. So, yes, we still battle with the sin, the power of the flesh. But that's why Paul says, walk in the spirit, walk in the reality of who you are. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because that's not who you are. Amen. Isn't that cool? Amen. So you don't deal with, you don't try to deal with your heart and try to try to get, a, become a better person. I mean, that, that very thought. Is, is against the revelation of the Spirit that's coming to you. I mean, the very, that's like saying, uh, I know we've said this before, but it's like, it's like me saying, Tiffany, Tiffany, you need to be sitting in that chair. And Tiffany thought she was sitting in the chair. So now she's in confusion. Because she thought she was already sitting in the chair, but now she's being told to sit in the chair. That's how religion is. When, when religion says your heart is evil, because your heart is not evil, so if you think it's evil and it's not evil, it's confusion. And then, you had, then you're at the mercy of men to tell you when your heart is good enough, when your heart is holy enough. You're at the mercy of the teachers and the preachers who say, yeah, that's good enough for God and for, and for me, but, or that's not good enough for God and for me. But when you see the truth of what Jesus did, you can boldly say, I once had an evil, wicked heart, as Jeremiah said, but God did something so awesome I can't even describe. This unbelievable work of God that he would raise me from the dead and call into being that which did not exist before. Behold a new creation. Behold a new creation. All things have become new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. This is the cry of the bride. The bride yearns to hear this message because it's the truth. And this message, when when the bride speaks this message, the bride then has right behind this message to the world, come all who are thirsty. Come, all who are weary, come and drink. The bride says, come, come. All who are thirsty, come and drink, come and drink. You who have no money, come and buy. You who have no money, I love that. You who have no money, come and buy. Come and drink freely of the water of life. He has done it. He has made all things new. I love that scene in The Passion. You know, I've said this before where Jesus is taking the cross in that Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, and he stumbles And his mother, Mary's in the corridor, you know, seeing him in that scene. And he's like, he stumbles as as he did in the scriptures and he pushed back up to carry the cross. And he saw his mother, Mary, and he said in the movie, and he looked at Mary and he said, yeah, he said, he said, look, mother, I make all things new. Awesome. Remember that scene? Look, mother, I make all things new. In the midst of that death and suffering, he knew the joy that was set before him. He was about to terminate the whole human race in judgment, because he would take upon himself the judgment of the world. He, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. We thought he was somehow a very bad person that this could happen to him yet. We didn't know he was taken there for our transgressions, for our iniquity, and through his death we are healed. It's awesome. That's our Lord, that's our Christ. And so we boast now in what God did. We boast in it without a shame. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. See, that's that's what Paul meant by that when he said, I'm not ashamed to say that I have a new heart. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm righteous as, as God is righteous because I received it as a gift. I'm not ashamed to say I'm holy. I'm not ashamed to say I'm blameless. I'm not ashamed to boldly proclaim what God has done. Like Clark says, I love the way Clark says, let's boast on God. You know, people get upset when you boast on God and you you brag about God. Let's brag about God because God needs to be bragged upon. You know, He's he's done awesome things. The the Psalms explode with these words. Oh, He has done great and awesome things. You know, who has seen such things, you know? Ah. Okay, so the renewal of the mind. So we see it's not really faith and reason. It's faith and revelation. We see that... It is something that we are to know now, not just when we die. For the Spirit has come to show us the deep things of God now. In fact, it's essential for us to, to live the life of abundance that Jesus wants us to live. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Life full of joy. One of the big things Jesus talked a lot about before he left was, "I'm going. this, this life is a life of joy. I want you to ask for things now. You haven't been asking for things in my name. I want you to start asking for things in my name that your joy might be full I want you to have joy. In fact, I want you to have my joy. My joy I leave with you. Not as the world gives. I leave you my joy. I mean, Jesus Jesus had a big thing with joy. Jesus wanted you and I to have joy. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives you peace. Because the world gives you peace when all the circumstances line up and the stars line up and everything. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. You know, everything lines up perfectly. Like the word, the word happy. I heard... Of, uh, Malcolm Smith said this years ago. The word "happy" in the English comes from the word "happening." So we're only happy when things happen. And if things are not happening like we wanted it to happen, we're not happy. We're unhappy. We're unhappy when things are not happening. But when they're happening like we wanted to happen, we're happy. But joy doesn't come from the word "happening." Joy and there's no such word as unjoy. It's just joy because of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength and that never changes. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His joy he left with us. What kind of joy is that? It's a joy of a sovereign who says, is there anything too hard for me? And I have set my love upon you and I will never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. My, you're the apple of my eye. I have engraved you on my hands forever the messiah is marked his very glorified body is marked thomas saw it forever he marked it that you would never forget his love for you that's his joy forever and ever and ever and ever and ever awesome so here's the the renewal of the mind is is for us to to shake ourselves from this the lies of the enemy that tell us we're unworthy, that we're, that we're not loved by God, and that, that um, his work could not have accomplished all these things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how does it really work? Let's go to this. How does the renewal of the mind actually work? And I think this might help us understand some things. This is some of the things I've, I've learned about it. First of all, remember, saints, that there is a brain. This is not going to be that good. It's a big brain. When you and I die, this brain, does it go to heaven? Okay, think about this now. When, this, when you die, when your, when your body dies, because you cannot die, Jesus said, he who believes on me shall never die. So the real you have already passed into eternal life. You have eternal life now abiding within you, the scripture says. You have now eternal life abiding inside of your body right now. Because you're joined to God. God is in you. God is life. Okay. So you will never die. You as a person will never die. Uh, Like Peter, he talked about, the Lord has shown me that I will soon put off this this body. He he didn't say he was going to die. He goes, I will soon put off this body and I will will step over. Paul said, the Lord has shown me that my time has come to step over but I have, but I have a, a dwelling place in heaven that is eternal. So, it, awesome. Okay, so when you die, the brain stays here. It will be in the casket. They'll do autopsies. They can do an autopsy and look at your brain. It'll be here. The mind, this is brain. The mind is part of your, the invisible you. You can put it under the category of soul if you want to, but actually it's part of soul and spirit. It's, part, it's the invisible you. The mind is the invisible you. When you and I are born of the spirit, well, before we were born of the spirit, this mind was darkened in his understanding. It was like joined to this brain, darkened in its understanding, alienated from the life of God. And alienated from the covenants of God because we were in the flesh and in our sins and so forth. What the Lord did when he raised us from the dead, created us new, cut away the inner man from the outer man. What he did was give us the mind of Christ. The scripture says you now have the mind of Christ. Now what that means is we actually can think the thoughts of God through the spirit. We can actually think the thoughts of God and actually know his thoughts by the Spirit. Now, what happens, it's a process. The only process in the Christian life is a renewal of the mind. It's not a process of becoming more holy or more righteous or more accepted by God or more loved by God or more of a son or more of an heir. None of those, none of those things are progressive. Those are, are e- either are or not You're either in life or you're in death. You're either a son or you're not. You're either an heir or you're not. You're either righteous or you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. It's it's so cool. The simplicity of this, yet the profoundness of this is amazing. So the the, the, uh, process in the body of Christ or the work of Christ in our lives is the renewal of the mind. And this is why it's a process, saints. Paul says that when you leave this body, when the real you leaves this body... And the brain is left in the casket on earth. The scripture says you will know all things even as you are known by God. You will know everything. You will see and understand all things when you're out of the body. Paul had an experience like that. He said, I I couldn't tell if I was literally out of the body or not. Or in the body. Remember that in the Corinthian letter? He says, I, I couldn't tell if I was literally in the body or out of the body. But it was as if I was out of the body because God wanted to show me something. And he showed me, oh my God, we are really new. I cannot even explain. When, I can't even articulate in words what I saw out of the body. So when you're out of the body, you will know all things as you're known. So what about well, while we're in the body now, as we're walking the earth? While we're in the body, Paul says, we see through as if through a glass darkly. Because the new spirit, the new life, and the new mind has to work through an infected brain. A brain that is of this creation and not of the new creation. So the new has to work through the old. So we see through a glass darkly, as long as we're in these bodies. We prophesy in part, not completely, Paul says, because we can't articulate perfectly what we're seeing in the spirit because we're having to work through these brains. It's really kind of hot in here, isn't it? Let's open these doors if you don't mind. We'll get some air circulating. Um, But the, uh, does that make sense? Is that reasonable? You see, you're using reason. You see how you're using reason? We're not saying we don't reason. You're using reason to make sense of the revelation. It's so cool. Okay, so the Spirit of God now is working through these brains. We contact this earth through our natural senses. We see, we touch, we taste, we speak. We, all the five senses we communicate with this world. God has deemed to allow us to do that so that we would be his witnesses of the invisible. We have this treasure in earthen vessels... That the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God, not of ourselves. So you're walking around. You're a living miracle. Walking around. You're you're a you're light. You're light. You're light. Um, even the, the powers of darkness they see you. They see you coming a long way away. You know they they, they like you know you saw in the book you read in the book of Acts where they these guys try to cast out demons and and they, they said you know we let's try this you know what Paul's what Paul does and we cast you out in in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches you know let's see if this works and they go. Who are you? And the demons say, "You know Jesus, we know, and Paul, we know, but who are you?" And they jumped on him, and they ran around. They ran out. So um, the enemy knows you. I remember one time I was at Lake Eola on a lunch break, and I was just resting, and you know, looking at the lake, just pondering some stuff, and just, and I saw this guy walking, kind of a homeless-looking guy, I guess, but he was walking toward me, and then, and then about. 60, 70 yards or 50, 50, 60 feet away as he started coming to me. He wasn't saying anything. And then when he got about 50 so feet, he looked over at me and he just started cursing the church. He looked over at me and he says, damn, he's just cursing the church, cursing Jesus, cursing God, cursing church. Just, I mean, he, he didn't know me from Adam. I'm like 50 feet away. He's walking silently toward on the sidewalk. He looks up at me and then he just starts cursing the church. I'm going like, Interesting. I was like, he recognized me. Yeah, the demon recognized me. That's pretty, that's pretty, it was pretty interesting. And then one, another time I was in a shopping center and I was like frustrated with, you know, the way that, uh, it it wasn't really, it was like a bank in a shopping center and I was frustrated with the the way the bank was, was uh, changing my money. I was out of the country and I was like frustrated with this, you know, and I'm going like, you know, because America's so efficient on the, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, God, this is so Mickey Mouse. This is so Mickey Mouse. God, can't they get their act together and do this right, right? I was frustrated, right? And then a few minutes later, I was walking in the shopping center, and then this, this, lady comes, this lady comes walking by, and she, she was just weird acting. And then um, she walks right by me, and she looks at me, and she goes, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. Different store, too. It wasn't even in the same store. And I went, wow. And God is going, watch your words, son. Watch your words. Because they, they can't hear your thoughts. They can hear your words. So what, it, what she was doing was she was, Mickey, she was mocking me because I was frustrated. I was going, this is so Mickey Mouse. And she walks past goes, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. So anyway, that's, the, the darkness sees you. They're afraid of you. It's the light. It's power. It's power. Christ himself is inside of you. How do we get off on that? Okay. Alright, here we go. I'm glad you had that. I kind of understand how the the mind is soul. I don't understand how the mind is spirit. The mind and the spirit? Yeah, I understand that the mind is soul. I don't have the mind is also spirit. Well, the spirit, remember that the verse in Hebrews where it says the two-edged sword comes in and divides soul and spirit from Joints and marrow, we talked about that, how that's the body and the invisible person. And then it says, the word discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Soul is more of a thought thing, the mind, thought. Intent is spirit. Spirit is very deep. Spirit is a very, it's very intention. It's your intention before you even have a thought. See, spirit is intention. It's like God puts his intention in you as a new creation. Thoughts. And intense thoughts and intense. So your intention, that's why many times we know we we screw up, but God says, I know, I know you didn't intend that. I know who you are. I know your intention. I, I put that in you. I put your, your intention is to do my will. I've made you that way. See? But the flesh trips us up sometimes and we have bad thoughts and we end up walking after the flesh. Thoughts and intents. So the spirit is more of the intent of the heart when you don't even know your intention. The scripture says the Holy Spirit searches the hearts of the believer and sees what the mind of God is, the intent of God. And prays with utterances that cannot be articulated for he knows the will of God that's already inside of you. Isn't that awesome? See, as as contrary to religious teaching that says, you know, search your heart for sin, which is so unscriptural, that Paul taught, no, the Spirit searches your heart to hear the intentions of God in your heart. And you may after you may only you may only be able to uh, just groan. Paul says, groanings that cannot be uttered with actual words. It's the groanings because the Spirit of God is praying through you, the intention of God. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes you just sometimes just lay before God and groan. You know really just like just like the spirit just groan and just let the spirit because but if you have the right mindset if you if you really see that you're a new creation that you have a new heart that you're his son that you're his daughter that he's one with you, all those things those are the, that's having the mindset on the things of the spirit, then God is can flow freely through us to pray through us and to teach us and reveal his, his things to us okay, real quick, wrapping it up the spirit the new creation has to work through a brain that is not of... Not of the new creation. This is of the old creation, so that's why we see in part, prophesy in part, and so forth. The process of the renewal of the mind is this it is a growing revelation by the Spirit of the Father. It's the knowledge of God. To know the Father is life, Jesus said. And we can only know the Father through Jesus. He who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. No man has known the Father but the Son, and no man has known the Son but the Father. So what happened is God opened up His heart. In the bosom of the Father, the Son came. The Word, within the words of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him full of grace and glory. So now the Holy Spirit is given to reveal the Son to us, and as we see the Son, the Son reveals the Father to us. See, that's what's happening to us. And so now as we see Him as He is, it's the revelation of God. See, in the garden in the beginning, they had no laws. They had no tree of knowledge of good and evil. They just had God. They, they just had God. Notice in the letters of the apostles how they said, may you grow in the knowledge of God, in the, in the revelation of God, in the true knowledge of Christ, the true knowledge, true knowledge. In the Greek, that means revelation knowledge. Of him, of him, of him, of him, of him. All right, so well, how does that happen? What, what happens? Okay, what happens is as we have a revelation of him, as he really is, and who we are in him, as we look, as the, as we look at the glory, Paul says we look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, and it's like a looking in a mirror, because that's who you are. We look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, and it's like looking in a mirror, Paul says, because that's what you look like. That's the renewal of the mind. See, the mind is like, oh my God, I have been created new in His image. In His image. All right, now what happens? Okay, what happens is when the revelation begins to grow in us, the spirit literally begins to rewire the, the brain of this creation. There's capillaries. Capillaries have to be um, pushed. There's things... That, this is mysterious. We, don't, we can't explain all this. We just know enough to believe it. See? God didn't give us all the details. This is too beyond man. Man to this day doesn't understand the brain. There's, there's, we have like maybe 1% knowledge about what the brain is capable of and what it does and how it does. We just this, this is an awesome thing. The brain is amazing. But now with the Spirit of God in you is pushing out new thoughts. Old memories lose their power. Old memories lose their power. Where are the memories? They're actually in the capillaries of the brain. They're actually part of this creation, memory, all this. It's all wrapped up together. So the Spirit of God begins to renew, casting down thoughts, the Scripture says, pulling down strongholds, the, the, the gospel itself expanding in you, is changing your view of God, casting down every false view of God and breaking forth to what He is like, what He's really like. Yes. That had never been fired, fired on before. Right. Because God made us. See, the brain was made for God to inhabit man. That's why he breathed into Adam and created a, a human spirit in Adam so he could join with Adam because God is spirit. So he made us to be his temple. He made us to be his, to, so he could walk in us and we would walk in him. And in union, he made us to be in union with him. But Adam, when he, he fell in, from his innocence, he didn't, so God had to guard the tree of life and stop him from eating of the tree of life so he could not be joined to God until the redemption was accomplished. And now that when the redemption is accomplished then the tree of life opens back up to the, to the, uh, the human race, if they believe on Jesus, now they can eat of the tree of life, which is Christ which is Christ. Do you know that, I'll close right here. You know the cherubim were sewed on the heavy holy of holies. The, it was six inches thick, the, the veil of the temple. The, God said, "So cherubim on the veil. That's The veil had the cherubim. The wings of the cherubim were on the veil of the temple. And we know that the temple, six inches thick, was ripped from the top to the bottom. At the very moment Jesus died, At the very moment he died, the scripture says he breathed his last. Then there was a great earthquake and from the top to the bottom, the veil was rent. What happened, saints, is that God was saying to us, the cherubim that he put around the tree of life to guard the way to life, he was saying to the cherubim, step aside. The veil was rent. The cherubim literally moved aside. And the holy of holies, the perfect cube, heaven itself, was open to man. Isn't that awesome? Yes! Hallelujah! He is your life. He is your life. Simple but profound. It changes everything. So as the mind is renewed to this reality, we actually find ourselves manifesting. For the scripture says the spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. Isn't that awesome? And so, what do we do among ourselves? We do this, and I'll close right here. We speak the truth. One to another, Paul said... We speak the truth one to another. Encourage each other in the truth. Tell your brother, tell your sister, remind your brother, remind your sister that they are an heir of God. Remind them that they are righteous in Christ. Remind them that they have a new heart and that there's no sin in them. No sin in their heart whatsoever. Remind them that they're not in the flesh anymore. Remind them that they're in the Spirit. Know no man after the flesh anymore, but after the Spirit. Encourage them in the truth that we all might be built up unto the fullness of the stature of Christ. Awesome! Lord, thank you so much. Father, help us see these things as we approach the end of this age. You said that in the last days they shall understand. You said in the last days they shall understand and they shall instruct many. Lord, thank you for this awesome day we live in. May the Holy Spirit open our eyes to this beautiful blue sky. Blue sky in heaven. Blue sky in Christ 24-7, seven days a week. For you sit, Father, Father, your son sits on the right hand of God, having accomplished all things. Oh, Lord, thank you that we are your witnesses on earth. And the good news of this kingdom shall go out as a witness to all nations. And then shall the end come. Amen.